0: Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. So thankful to be here. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to First Thessalonians chapter two. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. As we uh, make our way through the books of First and Second Thessalonians in a series, uh, we've titled "Living, Waiting, and Enduring for Jesus." Now I kind of just want to bring us up to where we're at. Uh, um, so if you remember, we, we, Paul begins the book by recording the, the salvation of the Thessalonians. That is how they came to know Christ. And he talked about the godly character they had. And if you remember, uh, we talked about the faith, hope, and love uh, that they had. Because the gospel, and that was because the gospel came to them and they believed it, they received it. And they had much conviction. And then as a result of the gospel, not only did they have godly character, but if you remember, we talked about uh, uh, in chapter 1, how they became imitators of the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus in suffering, and then became an example to other believers. And the, the word of God and the gospel thundered out from, from them. We turn to chapter 2 in First, uh, first Thessalonians. Uh, Paul begins to defend his ministry. And uh, we we started in on that last week, but Paul, there are apparently some detractors uh, there in uh, Thessalonica, and they're trying to discredit the ministry of Paul. So Paul is defending his ministry, and he started by talking about his motives when he came there. When he went there, because he says, I, I'm approved by God, I'm, I'm here to please God who tests our hearts. And so last week, we talked about our motives, and, and uh, even throughout, we talked about Paul's motives, and what the motive of a preacher and a pastor should be. And so Paul used, um, he used uh, a metaphor, he compared himself to a nursing mother, if you remember that in verse 7 of chapter 2, where he says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Well, here in verses 9 through 12 is what we'll look at today. Paul compares himself to a father. So let's get in there and read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Paul says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, I mentioned this uh, in the email, but if you didn't get the church email, uh, before my first pastorate. I was working as a security officer in Des Moines for Conley Security, and uh, at the same time, I was working that full-time job. I was filling pulpit uh, every now and then throughout uh, throughout Iowa whenever whenever a church would need somebody to fill the pulpit and fill in for them. There was one particular weekend I was scheduled scheduled to work Saturday, and it was a, it was an eight-hour shift from uh, 3 p.m. to or th- yeah 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And uh, I was also scheduled on Sunday To travel to Messina, Iowa A uh, small church uh, West and a little bit south of Des Moines And Phil Pulpit there I'd done it a number of times And so, um, so my shift was just about over And I get a phone call from my boss Saying that there was, there was an, a security officer Who was able to come in and, and at that point you basically have no option But to say yes you'll cover And so I had to cover the next 8 hour shift So I worked from 11, uh, from, uh, 11 uh, to uh, all the way, what's, what's 8 hours? 7 a.m.? Is that right? Uh, and uh, so I ended up, and so it was about an hour and a half drive, and the Sunday school started at 9.30, so by the time I got off work, it was actually, you know, time to go home and time to get on the road to Messina. And by the time I got up to preach on Sunday morning, I had been awake for well over 24 hours, and I was exhausted and tired, uh, happy to report that the sermon must not have been too boring, because even I was able to stay awake, uh, which if you could hear my first Side note here, if you guys could have heard me first, when I first started preaching, uh, I, I I trust I've come a long way. But my sermons, they were so boring I would fall asleep. Uh, they just, they, it was not good. Uh, and the Lord, I trust, has been, uh, he has been gracious to me and I trust uh, maybe... Not too many of you will fall asleep today, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, the, the tiredness that comes from pastoral ministry, and now, and now you know, now I get the privilege of, of being paid to do this, and that's just what a great blessing it is uh, for you to allow me to do this full time. I'm so thankful to you uh, and to this church and allowing me to do this. But, as Paul mentions here, ministry sometimes is hard work. And last week throughout as we looked at Paul's motives and even the motives of the minister and the motives of the preacher and we even had you reflect on your own motives as we walked through it. This week I want to do kind of the same thing and I want to look at the full spectrum of pastoral ministry. So maybe if last week it was more heavy on all of us looking at our motives and, and there were times of looking at the, at the pastor and the preacher. This week I want to look, I want to look at the pastor. And what the pastor should look like in a church. And at the same time, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you in on some things as well to, to, uh, to reflect on your own heart and in your own lives. But Paul uses the picture of a caring father to describe three aspects of the pastor. And let's start with number one. We find it in verse 9 where he says, You remember, brothers, our label toil? We work night and day that we n- might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Number one, the first aspect here is that the pastor is, or the minister is, faithful to the task, not the clock. Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for the Apostle Paul. In order for the Apostle Paul to fulfill his mission as an apostle, he had to throw the clock out the window. He couldn't be confined to normal work hours, to normal business hours. And the reason why is because he didn't have any money. He didn't have any money, and so he actually had to work another job to support himself and his team in ministry. And we learn from Acts chapter 18, verse 3, uh, that Paul was a tent maker. And so Paul would have learned this trade as a child, and now he, he, he would use it a number of times in ministry. Uh, we know from Acts 18, he, he, he worked as a tent maker in Corinth. We know him, uh, from Acts chapter 20, he did the same thing in Ephesus. And we know from this passage that he was working on the side in Thessalonica. So there are a number of times throughout Paul's ministry where he had to work a second job, or he had to work another job. And in order for Paul to fulfill, he was a tent maker, so in order to fulfill, you know, in order to fill the, the quotas or to make sure he had he an had inventory or to make sure he was fulfilling the orders of his clients, he, he, had to, he had to work hard kind of outside of the normal hours. And so he would work late at night, he would get up early in the morning, he would do whatever he could so that he could preach the gospel during the prime time in the day. He labored and he toiled While in Thessalonica, he worked a job with tons of hours, little pay, waking up early, going to bed late, so that he could be free during the day to preach the gospel. Those, uh, those words, labor and toil, and perhaps uh, uh, your, your translations may have a little bit different wordage here, but the idea of labor and toil, they're, they're similar words. They convey the idea of extreme weariness, uh, they convey the idea of fatigue, even carries the idea that there were struggles that Paul, or obstacles that Paul had, str- had struggled even overcoming in his ministry. Things were difficult, things were hard. And by the way, if we, could just, if we could just take a little parenthetical moment here. You remember this verse, don't you? Philippians 4.13, everybody knows it. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. Now this is a verse we like to use in a lot of different ways. When I was at my previous pastor, I actually did a, a series called In Context. And I would take a bunch of verses, uh, I, would, I did a series where each Sunday I would take a verse or a, a, a portion of scripture that people took out of context, and then I'd put it in context. And this was one of them. But this verse, Philippians 4.13, happens in this context. That is, first. Thessalonians 2 is the life Paul is referring to when he says, I can do all things. Paul was content with lots of hours, little pay, hard work, and sharing the gospel the whole time. That's When he says, I can do all things, what well, he's saying there is I could, I could work my tail off, I could be tired, fatigued, extremely worn out, I could have challenges that I don't know what I'm going to do to overcome, and yet I can do all things. I can continue to preach the gospel. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was content with the call of God on his life. Now, as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to look at this later, but even a couple verses uh, later, after uh, verses 14 and 15, 16, after Philippians four thirteen, Paul actually thanks the Philippian church for supporting him while he was in Thessalonica. And so we know that when Paul, in, in Philippians, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he wasn't talking about winning the football game. He was talking about doing his task and being faithful to the task. And this is what Philippians 4.13 is about. Philippians 4.13 is about the sufficiency of Christ, not the fantasies of our heart. And Paul here, he's saying, man, Thessalonica was really hard work. I had no money. And we know that the tent-making business didn't give him very much money, which is why he needed support from the Philippian church. And we know that the Philippian church wasn't able to send too much money to him because that's why he needed a job. And in all this he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Paul did what he had to do to fulfill the mission of God. And the point for the pastor and the point that I tried to draw from this as I worked through this is not necessarily that I need to work another job or that it's sinful to be paid full-time wages at a church. Of course not. The point of all this is that the Lord's under-shepherd, the Lord Jesus' under-shepherd, must be more concerned about the task at hand than the clock on the wall. And Paul would say it's worth it. Because notice he says, I work night and day, labor, toil. And he says that, here's why, here's why I did this. He says that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. It wasn't easy for the apostle Paul, but it was so worth it. And, of course, one benefit to working another job would Paul was naturally running into unsafe people, I imagine that some of the converts in Thessalonica were probably people Paul encountered out on the job. Coworkers, maybe, or those who he encountered just doing services. And the other added blessing to Paul working, Paul says, is I didn't have to be a burden to you. I didn't have to demand money from you. He didn't have to look to them for financial support, especially since we know from 2 Corinthians 8, 8 uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, that they were actually, the Thessalonian church was was facing extreme poverty. The idea of the word burden is to put a weight on someone or make demands of them. And So Paul was sustained at least as best as he could by the tent-making job and by the help from the Philippian church. And again, Paul here is defending his ministry. So he says, listen, I'm not in it for the money. I worked as a tent maker. I worked night and day. He did everything he could to not be a burden. Paul didn't come to town to, to look for the rich person so they could have a financially prosperous life. So he wasn't in it for the money. And yes, ministry takes money. That's why we have a church budget that's why we're going to talk about a church budget coming up at our next members meeting because ministry does take money it's not the motive it's never the motive for ministry they came to town to preach the gospel and they did everything he did everything he could do his team did everything they could do to survive as a tent maker and off the Philippian church to make sure they were preaching the gospel so as I look at my own life and as we look at this passage together, and you get the opportunity to, to put me and even the other two pastors up on stage here in front and say, "Well, what's, what's this saying? Pastoral ministry doesn't fall within a certain block of hours or only certain days of the week. Gospel ministry doesn't have any office hours. The call of God on a pastor is to a task, not on a time. And here's the thing I find so freeing about this. Here's the thing I find so freeing about this. Is that God calls us to a task and, and not to necessarily a time. What I find so freeing about this is the fact that the task will never be completed until Jesus returns. So I'll die. And the task here in Mount Pleasant still won't be completed. Whenever God ends my ministry here, it will be incomplete. I have a friend of mine uh, just retired recently. I think I've shared this before, but uh, he said, uh, he, he would often say, every pastor is an interim pastor. Because, as the old phrase goes, God takes his worker, but the work goes on. And so I can rest, and I can get some sleep, and I can stay up late or get up early. When the gospel calls for it, because God has called me to a task and not to a clock. And as much as Paul is describing ministry, this is something all of us, if you're a father, a leader in the home, a leader in the church, if you're a mother raising your kids, if you're a Christian, God has called us something to something greater than a nine to five, He's called us to use our lives, our marriages, our families, our jobs, our time for the sake of the gospel. And so the first picture we get here of this caring father and this caring pastor is that he's faithful to the task, not the clock. And number two is in verse 10, is he's on display for all to see. He's on display for all to see. When I first uh, thought about this, it, it reminded me of where we lived, and we lived in Clarion. we lived smack dab, and, and this was kind of one of the only houses available. We lived on one of the busiest roads in a small town of 2,500 people uh, or less, and so we lived we lived smack dab. There's only basically two roads people travel on, unless you're kind of going off, uh, off, uh, off into the neighborhoods and things like that. But there's but this was the one, one of the busiest roads, even even in around anywhere. And I remember uh, being at the coffee shop or being at the gas station getting coffee or something. And people would even come up to my wife and, and, and say, hey, you're, you're the family that lives on you know, such and such a place. And we had no idea what they were talking about. I think more people in that town knew where I was going to live before I knew where I was going to live. There's just this constant Everybody knew. Everybody knew when we were at home. Everybody knew when we were out playing with the kids. Everybody knew every, every, it just, we were on display for all to see. That was, that was for sure. Which is why you, now you know why we live out in Westwood, right? Uh, (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) But he says, we're on display. And so this is what Paul says. He says, you are witnesses, you witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. He's describing his conduct. These words are describing how Paul acted publicly. These are, these are actions on display for everybody to see. Another way to put it is to ask, okay, when Paul was put on public display, what, what described his conduct? And there's these words. How did he respond to adversity? What was his speech like? His work ethic? His actions? He was on display. As a matter of fact, six times, six times in verses 1 to 12, Paul refers to the Thessalonians as knowing. So in verse 1 he says, you yourselves know. In verse 2 he says, though he would already suffered and been shamefully treated As you know, and then in verse 9, he says, as you know, verse uh, verse 5, 9, 10, 11, you know, you know, you know, you know. Like Paul was saying, we were on complete and total display. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't hiding. He was out there for all to see. He was available. People could see who he was inside and out. What you notice, not only was he put on display, but he was put on display when it comes to these high standards. Now, when you read the words holy, righteous, and blameless, those are really, really high standards. As a matter of fact, if I read those three words and I start sweating bullets, something's wrong with me. He says, we were holy. That's that the idea of that word uh, is 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 our it's uh, it's our duty towards God. He was holy in what he was he what he was before God. The word righteous is his duty toward people. And so he was he was righteous in in how he faced people. Before God, how he faced people. And the summary of his life was that he was blameless. Not sinless, but blameless. The word means faultless. This word uh, in the original Greek, it was originally used of funerary descriptions to describe someone who faithfully fulfilled their obligations in life. As one commentator put it here, he says, uh, they not only believed the gospel, but behaved it. They were examined, scrutinized, cross-examined, and their testimony held up. They held up when it came to holding it up to God's word. Now they were being. Now you got to remember, they were being attacked here. So they were. They were being. It was being said about them that these guys, low, they have impure motives. They don't act right. They don't talk right. Their hearts are wrong. They just want your money. So they were being accused of these things. But Paul knew that when held up in light of God's word and what God wanted him him to do, that he, his character, was blameless. He was holy. In his duty towards God, he was righteous in how he faced people. He was blameless. He was faultless. The church in Thessalonica was able to read the pages of Paul's life like a book. He had nothing to hide. Uh, A story is told of Charles Spurgeon once where someone came up to to him and he says, uh, they said, Charles uh, Spurgeon, we want to write a story about your life. And his response was... He says, You can write my life in the clouds. I have nothing to hide. Could your life be written in the clouds? Scary thought. But a pastor must be able to say that. I will never be able to say I'm sinless. But I need to be able to say I'm blameless. Now, this blamelessness isn't some self-righteous attainment where I, you know, I'm just some self-righteous, arrogant guy who, who, you know, according to all standards, I do everything perfectly. No, no, not at all. But the life of the pastor should be blameless because on every single page of that book, you will find the watermark of the cross of Jesus Christ. So that his story isn't a story of a man's good behavior. His story isn't a story of of how he lived so good and how he did everything right and he dressed the right way and talked the right way and did this the right way and that all in, in in and of himself. But the story of a rescuing savior, a savior who changes hearts and desires, a man who experiences saving grace and that grace has changed him. God has called pastors to a high and holy calling, and the reason why is to be examples. This is what Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says, let, one, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. So here's what, here's what I take this to mean. The pastors aren't the only ones who should be holy, righteous, and blameless, because he says this is God's plan for the whole church. God's plan for the whole church, each one of you, is to be holy and righteous and blameless. And what God wants the pastor to do is to set an example of what that looks like. He has to set an example because that's God's goal is holiness for the church. One old uh, commentator from another era, I said, many who declare themselves to be eagles spend most of their time hawking for flies. And the idea there is so many people who are, who are in Christ and they're one of his and they belong to his family. It is, they spend all their time just in the dirt and just going for nothing. We don't live the royal life, we don't live as a child of God, and we're like, we're like eagles going after flies. And may God lay on us the question, like Paul says. He says, You know, for our conduct towards you believers, this is the way we were, were supposed to live. It was the question of, like, what sort of person am I to be? What sort of person am I to be? That's the question. Again, here we can ask, ask, all of us can ask that question. What sort of person am I to be? What sort of father should you be? What sort of mother should you be? What sort of pastor should I be? The longer I live, the more I come to realize, slowly but surely, what uh, Robert McShane meant when he said, it is not great talents God blesses as much as likeness to Jesus. That's what God will bless. God will bless likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what sort of person ought you to be? What sort of person are you? What is displayed in your home, at your job? What's on display at school? What's on display among friends or outside the church? What's on display? What are you showing? If your life is being written written in the clouds, what's what's the story? How's the story go? And of course, we'll all look at ourselves and say, man, I've got so many failings. Which is why this quote from John Newton, uh, I think, sums up the Christian life. Where he says... I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. When he talks about heaven. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now what's he saying here? I am not what I ought to be. The grace of God in Christ gives you a distaste for your sinfulness. But the grace of God also gives you a desire for likeness, where he says, I am not what I want to be. A distaste for sinfulness, I'm not what I ought to be. A desire for likeness, I am not what I want to be. And then he gives you a, de- a, a destination, where he says, I'm not what I hope to be in another world. He gives you a destination to give you hope. And then, he shows you a dependence on Christ. The grace of God gives us a dependence on Christ where he says, but still I am not what I once used to be and by the grace of God I am what I am. Every single Christian could, could name that all the time. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in a world to come, but I'm not who I used to be. And by the grace of God I am what I am. So the pastor the minister of the gospel is faithful to the task and not the clock. He's on display for all to see. And finally, he's among the people shepherding varied needs. Well, he says this in verse 11 and 12. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted, and here's, here it is, each one of you. And encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's among the people shepherding varied needs. Paul dealt with individuals based on their needs. So he wasn't just a public speaker or standing in front of the crowds, but he was in the homes. He was among the people. He described himself as a gentle mother, but now he's talking about himself as this caring, instructing, sort of discipling uh, father. And he understood that preaching to the crowd wasn't all there is to pastoral ministry, but it's it's getting out there and being among the sheep. That there is a need not just for the public proclaiming of the word, but also a a need for the slow, affectionate application of the gospel one by one. He cared about individuals, not just crowds. Now, Roman fathers were known uh, for their severity and their harshness. Roman fathers brought up their children with threats and harshness and scolding, and here Paul is kind of going against, against the grain, the cultural grain, where he didn't come to, didn't come to them as this harsh, scolding, threatening, hard to please father, but he came with tenderness even when he corrected them. Because he did correct them. And that's actually, that's actually why he gives us those three words about, about this caring father in verse 12. So the three words. He gives us three words of Paul's ministry towards others. He exhorted them. He exhorted them. This is, this is when you call on someone to walk a certain path. This is when he says, this is the path you should take. And I'm call on, calling on you to walk on this path. He encouraged them. The idea there is comfort. He comforted them as they walked the path. And then it says he urged them. This is, this is the, the word urge is the strongest of the three words. Exhort is the second strongest and then encourage, it carries that idea of comfort. But when it says urge, it literally means to confront or to challenge. And so he confronted them when they strayed from the path. And so exhorted, he calls them, he gives them a directive. He's saying, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. And it was always in line with the gospel. He comforted them. It means that he came alongside of them. He put his arm around them to cheer and to encourage. It's the help given to someone as they walk the path. And he, and he urged them. He, he confronts them. He's telling them what to do. He's challenging how they're walking life. And they, what, basically what he's saying, he's saying, stop. That's what this means. Stop what you're doing, stop walking the path you're walking on and change directions. And so you see, you see the totality of Paul's ministry. That as he in, interacted with individuals, he, he shepherded, he ministered to them based on their needs. If someone needed to be exhorted and be told, hey, this is, this is what Jesus wants you to do. This is the path you walked and that's what he did. If somebody needed comfort, he would comfort them. And if somebody needed the confrontation, the challenge to their way of life to change their course of action or to, some of your translations may insist, so use the word insist. It's just insist strongly. It's a command. It's a requirement. Paul was able to do all three, and he did do all three. And the purpose was that they would walk worthy of God, to live a life worthy of the Lord. All right, we in, exhorted, encouraged, charged you, urged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's, that's the goal in all this. That's the goal in all this. He called, them, he called them to a path of godliness. He comforted them as they walked the path and even confronted and challenged them when they strayed. That's the call for the pastor, to be the voice. To be the voice in the local church's life to know how they ought to live to please God a blogger recently wrote these words he says the church is increasingly just one voice among many speaking into a christian's life a church's worship habits may occupy 2 hours of a christian's week but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, uh, social media, streaming entertainment and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. And he goes on to say even the most pastorally effective shepherds will struggle to guard flocks against the many voices influencing them. Which is why all the more it, even observations like that, just drive me all the more to say, whenever, whenever you hear me preach, I want you to hear me preach the word of God. Because it grounds my pastoral ministry. Passages like this ground my pastoral ministry. If at any time where I'm, I'm going through pastoral ministry and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing or how I should be doing things, which never happens. Uh, you know, uh, And I'm going, man, what, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want from me? What, what should I be doing here? It's passages like this that ground me. Because it's passages like this where the Lord says, I sent you to do a task. Focus on the task. It's passages like this where he says, be on display. Be a godly man yourself. It's passages like this where he says, go shepherd the people. And if somebody needs to be exhorted and showed the way to go, show them the way. If somebody needs an arm around them, go put your arm around them. If somebody needs to you know, get, the, get the finger in the chest and say change, then be willing to do that too. Because whatever voices we all may be listening to through social media and cable news and Fox News and everything else, then we need clarity and voice of truth. And that's what the pastor is called to do. It doesn't give an answer to every problem. It doesn't tell me every decision I need to make. But I know that if I follow what Paul is laying out here, I'll be a faithful steward of the Lord Jesus. And the motivation, as we look at the last phrase here of all this, is that the point is to walk worthy of God, and Paul quickly jumps. Do you notice how Paul quickly jumps to to why? He says, walk in a manner worthy of God, not for my sake, or so I feel good about myself, but he says, worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The call of God on your life that will take you to an eternity in his kingdom and his glory. Paul says everything you do must be rooted in what God has done for you and is doing for you. And you may be in here this morning and you're not, you're not motivated. Those words, you know, be, walking worthy of God and being motivated by his kingdom and his glory. Some of you may not be motivated by eternal glory because you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And you're not on your way to eternal, king- eternal glory and his kingdom. But right now, even though you may be inside the church, you're outside the faith. And so this is where I encourage you. This is where I show you that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again. And that if you believe in him, you place your faith in him, he'll save you. He'll give you eternal life. He'll forgive all your sins. And that calls for everybody. Whether your name is on our church membership list or not. The motivation is not a man's ministry. And anytime you start hearing a pastor ask his people to sacrifice or give to his ministry or his platform because it's quote unquote been blessed by God and it's not going to continue unless you get on board and give money and give your life for it, all that's dangerous. Every ministry is expendable. Every pastor is expendable. And Paul, on the basis of the gospel, they believe, exhorted them. He called them to walk the proper path. He encouraged them. He comforted them as they walked. And he urged them. Challenged them. He confronted their waywardness. I love this church. And I love you. And because of that, while I may not be able to, you know, to every task you give me or every task each person might expect me to do. With 200 and some people, it's, you know, who do I, you know, which task, you know, people have different ideas of what to do. But because I love you, I will strive to be faithful to the task that God has given me. I will strive to display likeness to you while embracing the fact that I am not what I ought to be. And I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I want to be in a world that's yet to come. But I can tell you, I'm not who I once was. By God's grace, I am who I am. And by God's grace, I will shepherd you as a body and individuals. I will call on you to walk the path of righteousness. I will strive to be a source of comfort to you in Christ. And I will confront you when you stray. Whether you like it or not. And by God's grace, for his glory, my ministry will end here someday. But the work will go on. And so until then, I'll be faithful to the task, not the clock, be on display for you to see, and be among you shepherding very needs. And I can tell you that's the heart of all three of your pastors. Let's pray. Father, Help me be a faithful pastor to these people. Thank you for the three pastors, the three of us you've called to this church. Thank you for the hearts of Pastor Matt and Pastor Kyle. Continue, Lord, to help us to walk in obedience to you, to always be busy about your, your work. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.